communicating thoughts and intent via a brain to computer interface. I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Andreas Forsland, founder and CEO of Cognition. Welcome Andreas. Hi, welcome. Uh, thank you for having me, Tanya. <laughs> of course, of course. So w- what is the mission of your company and, and, and what motivated you to start it? Uh, the, actually, the origin of our company was when I uh, was with my mom. My mom was actually uh, sick with pneumonia and she was intubated uh, in the ICU. So what you're hearing a lot now with COVID cases where someone's intubated, um, they're unable to communicate uh, verbally. Uh, with the people around them. And so that was really the inception of the company, Cognition. Um, But when we started doing research, we realized that there's about 509 million people, half a billion people worldwide, uh, that are affected by some kind of disability uh, that impacts their ability to communicate. So that can be things like stroke, brain injuries, uh, ALS, cerebral palsy, um, you know, many, many different disorders um, and conditions. And so as we started to really uh, go down uh, into doing research, we realized, wow, how many people are affected is, is enormous and not a lot of people know that. Uh, and then when we started looking at who are the icons uh, in the world, celebrities in the world who have had communication disorders, um, who comes to mind? Stephen Hawking, right? He's probably the most well-known. Uh, and so, you know, as a mission, we've looked at this and said, well, if the world had Stephen Hawking and that's one man that had tremendous technology and resources around him, how could we democratize technology that would make it possible for hundreds of millions of people like Stephen Hawking to kind of come out of their body and be able to do whatever they want to do in life, whether that's communication as a public speaker or writing books or art and things like this. So, you know, our whole mission as a company is really to unlock uh, communication for hundreds of millions of people. What is your definition of brain to computer interface? Uh, well, it's the ability to have technology monitoring your brainwaves and translating that into controls uh, that makes it possible for a person to use their brain to control a digital interface. Um, in our case, as you see here, uh, we're building a product called Cognition One. Uh, and Cognition One is uh, a wearable AR headset uh, that includes EEG. Uh, integrated into it. So EEG is a tech term for um, brainwave monitoring uh, without having to have surgery or anything. You're just monitoring your brainwaves through your through your hair and through your scalp. Um, and so what we can do is um, based on the things that the person is looking at in AR, uh, we can determine what objects they're looking at and fixating on, mentally fixating on, and allow them to select those objects based on mental attention as opposed to things like eye tracking or cameras. So without revealing any trade secrets, can you give us some insight into the technology behind looking, pointing and discerning intent uh, and converting all of that into computer commands? Well, it's a mix of many things. I think historically EEG has been around for a while, um, but it hasn't really been artfully uh, sort of uh, merged uh, with another set, set of sensors, right? And so this ability to use machine learning and AI inside of the AR application to understand more around um, uh, physical orientation. So if I'm looking left or I'm looking right or I'm looking up or down, uh, or if I'm attempting to look in those directions, uh, and then EEG kind of plays a supporting role, almost like a gravitational pull, like a tractor beam. You know, you think about, hey, I'm intending on this particular object. 
and there's certain frequencies that are attached to each of those specific objects. And then so based on the frequency that's appended to that object, we can see that in your EEG data. So if you've ever looked at brainwave data, it looks like you know, a lot of scribbles, right? It's like lots of scribbles and, and depending on how many channels you have lots of information going through. Um, so it's pretty noisy information. Uh, but what we're doing is we're appending each holographic graphic with a frequency that is synthetic, like a barcode. And so we can determine that barcode or that modulated frequency uh, as a synthetic frequency that we've, that we've prescribed and we can see that in your brainwaves as a spike. So essentially, if you have your normal sort of movement of what's happening through your brainwave data, and then you see certain spikes at certain frequencies that are associated with modulated synthetic frequencies, we know what object that frequency is associated with. Tell us more about Cognition One and some of today's more exciting use cases. Um, well, Cognition One primarily is targeted as a wearable device. Today, we're focusing more on the, um, you know, well, well, let's talk about the bigger thing about brain-computer interface, you know, so I think eventually we're going to be at a place where, you know, over the next 10, 20, 30 years, um, more and more, we're going to be moving towards this idea of a fully interactive virtual in environment. You know, some people are calling it the metaverse, you know, they're calling, you know, so thinking about all these bigger areas of where things are going, but ultimately your way of interacting, right, with virtual content is moving to a place where it requires it to be hands-free hands and, and voice-free. So if you think about dropping the keyboards, not needing to have hand controllers to interact with virtual space, um, these types of things, uh, where you wanna interact with basically head movement and mental fixation or intention, think about all the different applications and use cases that you could have at your disposal, right? To create interesting experiences, to engage with people in different ways. So, um, you know, thinking about that, the ability to communicate with another person or interact with another person directly with thought uh, intentions without having to say a word is quite powerful. Um, the ability to interact with um, inanimate things like robots and your environment to actually get out of the digital world and get into the real world. Uh, so think about controlling smart home controls um, such as your home, uh, or in our case, motorized wheelchairs. So we're thinking about, you know, think about the world of someone with a disability that might be in a motorized wheelchair and unable to speak. Um, today, Cognition One is being positioned and, and we're developing apps and software that the user can use in Cognition One to produce communication, verbal and digital communication, um, control their environment through smart home controls, um, and also control mobility to be able to drive uh, a motorized wheelchair all with the headset. So these are things where if you think about movement, mobility, controlling your environment hands-free, speech-free, and being able to communicate with people around you, it's kind of the ultimate accessibility platform for someone with disabilities. So your interactions could extend to people across the globe or on other planets. Other planets, other species, you know, you kind of get, you know, I think that's, it's interesting, right? Like, could, yeah, so, so, you know, your mind can wander about all the possibilities of what you can do with the direct brain computer interface that's connected directly into, you know, once it's digitized uh, and you can interact with other things, it becomes quite fascinating what you could do um, when you have multiple people interacting with each other directly with the brain computer interface. 
what recent technology advancements have allowed you to advance your own products? Well, there's a number of things. I think if we were doing what we were doing 10 or 15, even 20 years ago, there's no, I don't think we'd be able to do it. Uh, you know, I think um, processor speeds, GPU speeds, um, capacity, miniaturization, um, all the electronic advances that have been happening, um, the ability to actually move away from uh, moving into neural chips uh, and processors and having uh, different types of processing that can happen on the device um, as opposed to depending on the cloud. Um, advances around 5G. Oh, so, so there's a number of sort of influential trends that have sort of emerged and converged at this moment in time, which make it possible to do what we're doing. Um, you know, the, the advent of AR and, and the work that others have done in VR um, have made it possible, you know, to be able to, to do what we're doing. Um, so, you know, I think if you look at it right now, it's, it's an integrated wearable technology, um, you know, but in the future, everything's gonna get smaller and closer to the body and more, you know, the, the, the form factors of things are going to start to look more like everyday objects. So, you know, what we're doing right now with a large heads up display visor will eventually become just a pair of glasses. Uh, what we're doing from a, a large EEG pad and processing on the back will end up eventually being miniaturized as a ASIC, uh, you know, our system on a chip that could be integrated into other devices. So you're going to start to see the evolution of what we're doing, moving into the realm of just everyday objects where you don't even really, you can't tell that there's technology. To what degree does machine learning and artificial intelligence help analyze EEG data? Um, it helps in a number of ways. It helps in speed and accuracy, right? Speed, accuracy, error control. Um, and I think those are the main things. Um, and being able to run shallow neural networks locally on edge computing is really important. Um, I think um, historically, if you think about EEG or any kind of neural processing, it's been historically uh, dependent on computer systems, amplifiers, lots of wires, um, possibly even cloud infrastructure. So we're starting to see now that we can use machine learning to do a lot of the things that were done on PCs, super fast PCs with big amplifiers. We can do all of that now in small wearables. Um, so I think if it weren't for machine learning, it would be very, very difficult to do that. So what's next for assistive technology? Um, I think, you know, assistive technology in general is, it's sort of historically been a bunch of point solutions. So if you looked at assistive tech as an industry, um, it's quite fragmented. There's lots of individual solutions for lots of different things. Um, Cognition, I believe, is the first company to take a, a venture uh, investment strategy and say, we want to create a horizontal platform that really represents like a true leveling up of access technology and, um, you know, sort of representing accessibility, the conversation, changing the conversation of assistive technology, right, to where it's not just about specialized medical devices and equipment. It's around changing the conversation at the platform level, you know, iOS, you know, uh, Windows, you know, you know, thinking about the platform companies that are coming. Um, they need to be thinking about accessibility, right? They need to be thinking about it from the beginning so that it's not an afterthought. So when we think about assistive tech, which is kind of a, a synonym synonymous with accessibility, um, accessibility probably needs to change. It needs to evolve to just simple usability. You know, so if you think about the usability of technology, you know, that's what matters most. And so 
in the design process of designing operating systems or designing software. You're always thinking about usability, but when you're thinking about usability, most designers and developers are building software with a very narrowly defined set of requirements for usability. So what I'm proposing is that all companies need to expand their aperture on the types of people that they include in their usability testing and in their product design so that it truly is inclusive by design. And if companies were to do that, they would probably arrive at things like what we're doing, which has to, which has general applicability, right? So we're focusing on edge cases, extreme edge cases. So we're working with someone who's completely locked in, who can't move at all. And then we're also working on the other edge of the spectrum where people can't stop moving because they might have severe chorea or other kinds of uh, nervous system disabilities, which cause like tremors and things like this. So on those far ends of the spectrum, if we can solve the usability issue of mixed reality by making it possible for someone who can't stop moving or someone who can't move, we've widened the accessibility of mixed reality overall, right? So more people can get in and play and do whatever they want to do. Um, but we've also been able to generalize that so we can kind of advance accessibility away from thinking about disabilities and think about it as just if somebody's going to build a game title that needs to be like Pokemon Go for your face, <laughs> you know, like you're running around a field with augmented reality glasses and you need to make sure that the user interface is adapting to you when you're in super like random kinetic movement, like how are you going to do that? Well, we we're already figuring that out, you know, so you can generalize um, how the interface can adapt to someone who's moving around a lot. Um, a first person shooter game like Fortnite or something on the other end of the spectrum where somebody is totally static, uh, such as late stage ALS or locked in, you have a different paradigm of creating software accommodations that make it possible for someone to traverse an entire interface or to navigate and interact with things without moving a single muscle. Well, what kind of use cases for general gaming or content would be possible to allow someone or in, use that to their benefit as part of the gameplay design? You know, like if you have to be totally still and but still interact with everything. So there's some fascinating opportunities for mainstream use cases um, by focusing on the edge. Andreas Forsland, founder and CEO of Cognition. I can't think of a better motivation to start a company. If somebody wants to find you and learn more about your work, how can they do that? Probably the best way to reach us is to go through our Cognition One uh, webpage, uh, and that would be at uh, one, O-N-E, dot cognition, with an X, dot com. Thanks for your time, Andreas. Thank you. And find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.